morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 107, and I am really excited. We are we are expanding a pen and a napkin here. We are delving into the sunflower state. That's the that's the the nickname of Kansas, right? The sunflower state, coach. You got it. Okay. You got it. Yep. The Sunflower State with Chris Strathman, the head girls basketball coach at McPherson High School. Highly successful program in Kansas and, and just looking forward to spending some time with Coach here and picking his brain a little bit. But, of course, before we get to Coach, we've got to cover some things. First of all, as our loyal listeners know, we give credit to our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at COSACChiro.com, K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. Or to make an appointment, give them a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. You can follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, you're listening. You're on iTunes, so be sure to download, rate, review, give us five stars so we can get the word out to gain momentum in the ratings and help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach, you are on the, uh, I believe, I'm very confident this is the latest recording that we have ever had in a pen and a napkin history. So I thank you for uh, maybe drinking an extra soda today to stay up a little later to fit this in. Uh, but uh, yeah. it is it is greatly appreciated, Coach. Hey, it's not a problem. I'm glad to join you, so thanks for having me on. Well, and, and we want to thank uh, your assistant, uh, Shelly Prescott, for kind of being the go-between and getting us linked together. So, Shelly, thank you very, very much for that as well. Um, Coach, you, you've had a tremendous run at McPherson High School. Um, you know, uh, the way we, we usually start out our, our pods with uh, folks that, you know, are not uh, at a national type of level is to ask them about their basketball journey. Uh, so, so, Coach, tell us about your basketball journey and, and how you're in year 27 at McPherson High School down there in South Central Kansas. Well, I'll start back in uh, in high school. I, I uh, played in northeast Kansas. Uh, about, that's about an hour and a half south of you guys in Omaha. Um, so that's where I grew up and, and played high school there. I ended up playing college ball at Tabor College, which is in Hillsboro, mm-hmm. uh, right in the center of the state. And that's about uh, 25 miles away from McPherson. Um and actually, there's a there's a college in McPherson that, that is in our league and Tabor's league. Um, and one of the summers during college, I, I spent uh, working for the YMCA and McPherson Rec, and that was my introduction to McPherson. And, and so uh, I just had a feeling that that if there was an opening here, uh, they had a tremendous um, boys program in the, in the late '80s, early '90s, and the girls program was really just starting to take off. Um, so I just had a feeling that if I could get an opportunity to get over here, uh, fresh out of college, this is where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that happened to work out. So I got the job in, in June, uh, right after graduating, and I've been here ever since. Um, and worked with ten, for 10 years with uh, 
the girls as a JV coach. Uh, Scott Schaefer's a longtime, very successful coach here in Kansas. And um, but here's where he was the head coach here for 13 years, and I was his assistant for 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a great experience, and, and I was able to work with him uh, through some tremendous with some tremendous teams, and um, just kind of took over from there. So I've been head coach since 2005. Gotcha. Uh, same house since 2005 or since, since I'm sorry, same, same house. house, same house for all 27 years, I should say. Uh, no, no, <laughs> we, uh, I've been in the same classroom for all 27 years, same gym, but, uh, yeah, we, I got married in 99, uh-huh. that was my fourth year of, of teaching and coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually lived in Galva, which is a small town, uh, about five miles east of McPherson. Gotcha. Uh, we lived there for ten years, and, and we've lived in McPherson since the uh, uh, fall of 2011. So we've had a couple different houses, uh, but uh, you know it's it's been a great place to have have a family and grow up here. Well, good luck with cleaning out that classroom after 27 years, because I had to clean out my old classroom after 19 last spring, and uh, it, yeah. it looked it looked like an episode from Hoarders. I think is is what it looked like. <laughs> So, uh, you know, like I said, good luck with that. So, um, yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, you, uh, you, you had mentioned it, uh, you were a long time assistant. Um, what, uh, what were some of the benefits of being an assistant coach for a long time for the same guy in the same system? Uh, but what were also some of the challenges of making that slide over 18 inches when you, when you made that move? Uh, 17, 18 years ago. Let's let's start with the the benefits. Well, the benefits were that I got I got to spend ten years with uh, you know one of the top girls basketball coaches that Kansas has ever had, um, in my opinion. And he's just he's just been a great mentor to me. Um, you know, being able to work for him was was uh, a real blessing. It was humbling uh, because I think coming out of college, especially as a as a college basketball player, you think you you think you know a lot, uh, but I I have no idea really about uh-huh. how to truly coach, how to lead a program, um, how to kind of get uh, kids to really buy in to what you're doing, and also how to run and help help with the youth program. Uh, if there's anything that uh, the the guy that I worked with, his name is Scott Schaefer. Uh, if there's anything that that he's been well known for, it's you know, it's been starting and getting youth programs built up and then eventually having great success at the high school, too. So um, he's actually just moved up to Columbus, Nebraska this year. Oh, okay. Um, after several years at uh, Gardner Edgerton, um, and he was at William Christman in Independence, Missouri. Um, Columbus is actually where he grew up, and uh, so he was kind of lured back there. He's, he's retired, but he's, he was lured back there. Uh, his wife's a business teacher. I used to teach with her as well. Uh-huh. Uh, so she's teaching up there, and, and he got uh, lured back to Columbus to uh, uh, get a youth program going up there. So uh-huh. uh, that's what he's great at. He's great at coaching, obviously, but he's really good at building programs uh, and hopefully getting him set up for lasting success. Oh, very cool. I had my wedding reception in Col- Columbus, Nebraska, so very familiar yeah, awesome. with, that, with that area. So um, what were... Uh, you know, it's it's been a while, uh, but what were, uh, as you recall, what were one or two challenges that you faced 
uh, going from being the head JV coach and being, you know, the assistant to, okay, now, now I'm, I'm the, the person in charge. Well, I think for anybody that's going to be a challenge, uh, cause it is, you know, it's pretty amazing how warm that seat is just 18 inches over. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a definitely a different role, definitely a different responsibility. Um, everything comes back to you, obviously. Um, and when I took over, you know, we had we had just finished a 2005 season, uh, which was his last year. Uh, and they were an undefeated state champion team, um, and you know that's that's what I walked into. But but we were very fortunate. Uh, we had two. My first year as head coach was 2005 and six. Um, and we had two Division One players on that team. So um, Ashley Sweat had signed with K State, and Brett Olsaker had signed with uh, University of Utah. So uh, we had some tremendous talent coming back. Uh, excuse me, coming back. But uh, and we had also graduated some really good kids from that 05 team too. So uh, the 05 team had a girl that also went to K State, um, and then just a lot of good depth in that senior class that, that graduated. So. Uh, we had a couple of, of top-notch kids, um, and then uh, a really good sophomore uh, that that had played quite a bit as a freshman. And then after that, we were, you know, relatively inexperienced. And so it was. It was uh, we had a great year. Went twenty-two and four, ended up getting third place. But that was my first year as head coach, and uh, just learned a ton. But very fortunate that that you know it's not like. You know, some coaches will leave the cupboard bare. Uh, he absolutely did not do that, I can tell you that much, because we had a lot to work with that first year, and uh, it was a lot of fun to, to take over and roll from there. What was the most, um, what was the thing that you underestimated as you as you slid over those 18 inches uh, that, that you remember? You know, it was like, oh, I, I did not realize this was going to be such a big part of my job. Well, I think that, you know, being around him so much and, and understanding what he did, uh, the amount of time that he put into it, um, I, I understood what I was getting into in that regard. Uh, but still, I think actually going through and having to do it your, yourself that first time, it was still eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the amount of time, but the amount of stress involved. Uh, the expectations involved with our program and our community, we have very high expectations. And I understood that, but when it's actually on your shoulders, it's, it's a whole different feeling. <laughs> and so that gave me a tremendous appreciation, even more so, uh, for what he'd been able to accomplish for those 13 years that he was head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I've been head coach now 17, so I've kind of been through all that stuff now, mm-hmm. obviously, but... You know, that first year, I think, is a big adjustment for anybody, and I went through that too. Yeah. What uh, What advice would you have for for coaches who maybe are uh, not in the same situation, but we but we all have expectations of ourselves, and it's hard to meet those expectations. Very few of us truly meet it in our own minds. Yeah. Uh, you know. So yep. so so how do you? Uh, I don't want to say deal with it, but but what are ways that you kind of uh, in, in your own way, 
process the the stress of the job and and keep it fresh and, and keep it something to where uh, you're feeling good about coming into uh, the next day at practice, the next game, uh, the next season, so forth and so on, so that so that you do have that that energy that you need to have to do the job to the best of your ability. You know, it's it's uh, it's just really so important to, to try your best, and it's so much easier said than done. Uh, but to try your best to leave uh, the coaching at the office as much as you can until, you know, at that time, especially in 05 when I took over, uh, my kids were really young. Um, I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old at that time. Uh, so it was very important for me to to separate those things as much as I possibly could. Uh, to work on coaching and those, that stuff that I needed to get done uh, once my kids were in bed. Um, and then I could focus in on my job. And that, that's so important for a young coach especially. You know, my kids are grown now. It's, it's different. But at that time, it was so important to get that separation as much as I could. And like I said, it's easier said than done. Um, and just try to get as much done during the school day as much done right after practice before you go home as you can. Because um, that stress doesn't need to get taken home with you and, and impact your family. Um, like I said, that's, that's, that's learned with experience, but there's a lot of young coaches, I think, that, that really struggle with that. And it, there's times that I still struggle with that, even as an experienced coach, because mm-hmm. you get wrapped up in wanting to do so well. Um, as a competitor yourself, uh, you want to do so well for the kids that you're coaching because it means a lot to them. Uh, the pressure from the community um, with the success that we've had, it, it's there. You know, you can feel that, and so you just don't want to let people down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is very hard, uh, but do your best to separate the two as much as you can. And that, you know, for me, it also means separating teaching and coaching and also separating those that job here at work uh, with our my roles at home too as a husband and, and father. Yep, and it's it's hard, but it's it's very important that you got to do that. Yep. Um, you, you had kind of talked about it with uh, uh, you know your 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 building of the program and and Coach Schaefer and and what he had done. Uh, just you know, how important is it to really get your hands involved? And get them dirty with the youth program, and to to develop those players. and And what are the one or two things that you guys have done? I mean, I looked up where McPherson was on the map, and you guys are kind of out in the middle of nowhere a little bit. You know, uh, there's there's no big yeah. metropolitan area uh, around you. Um, so what what you know what are what are the one or two things that you that you really feel like that between yourself and Coach Schaefer over the last thirty years that you've done with that youth program that has kept things moving in such a positive direction? Well, when he first started, he took over in nineteen ninety three. Uh, there was really no youth program in place at that time, so I think he started off at that time. We just had eighth grade and middle school. Uh, had had the season, but you know, from seventh grade down, there was nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he started off with just seventh grade, got a program going with them, and kind of built it moving a year down at a time, basically. Uh, it took a lot of parent involvement, a lot of parent volunteers with ours 
And to get things started, uh, Scott had to do a ton of work that honestly I didn't really have to do when I took over because mm-hmm. um, it was already in place. The expectations were in place all the way down to fourth grade, third grade, et cetera, uh, that you know they would start off as lady pups at those ages, and uh, the program would start. You know, we got them going in third grade now. Uh, at that time, I think it went down to fourth grade, but. Um, the kids just knew, and especially the parents knew, and still know, uh, that, that we want them playing locally. Uh, we want them playing together as a, as a McPherson squad. And our parents have done a great job of continuing to buy into that. And if, our, if there's groups that are, you know, or individuals, I should say, that are really talented, we've been very fortunate that those individuals and those parents have stayed committed uh, to the McPherson Youth Program first. And then if that season's over and they want to supplement with uh, you know, a team in Wichita or an area team with Hutch and Salina or whatever it is, um, they do that, but they still stay committed to McPherson first uh, for the winter season. And then maybe they'll go with them for the spring or do things like that. But mm-hmm. that buy-in has continued, and that's what's, what's allowed us to have a long run of success and we've had some rebuilding years along the way but usually we've got back to where we've had very very good teams uh without having to experience very many lulls at all Mm -hmm. um so it's been a long run of success and and the youth program is a huge part to do with that and coach schaefer is the credit for that along with a couple parents that really helped him get started uh darn near 30 years ago already Mm -hmm. do you think that uh, the, the, those kids staying involved with your local community um, is that just uh, is that nature or or nurture? Uh, you know, is that just kind of something that's been instinctual with you, with your families? Like, no, hey, we're committed to here first, and then we're going to look elsewhere. If we like, you said, I think that's a great word that you use to supplement it. Or uh, is it is it something that you guys have built in as a point of pride within? within the program as a coaching staff? Well, I think it is a point of pride. It's a point of an emphasis, too, for our youth to be, um, you know, as local as we can make it, obviously, and, and stick together uh, with that as much as we can. So, um, you know, I think what, um, you know, Scott was the right guy at the right time to get that started. Mm-hmm. Uh, what also helped was the boys' program, was absolutely rolling in the late 80s and early 90s. And those coaches at that time, one of the first things they would credit would be the junior pups, which was the boys. Uh, The program that they had in place was just an awesome feeder system. And when Scott came in, it was time for the girls to get something going. Mm -hmm. And like I said, he was the right guy to do it. The time was perfect because I think the girls were envious of what was going on on the boys' side. And so the parents wanted that for their kids, too. And so they're right away with tremendous buy-in. And that's just been able to continue along along all these years. It's been pretty cool. Very good. A pen and a napkin university is offering you, our listeners, a great opportunity to learn more about the coaching above and beyond the a pen and a napkin universe. In our video series detailing personal growth and development, you can purchase videos on topics like interviewing for a job, basketball analytics, and fundraising and social media. Go to apennandanapkin.com and follow the links to order. Videos are $10 a piece, or you can get the bundle for $50. That's less than $8 a video. 
We also have our defensive series available. Those videos are $10 a piece, or you can get the three-video bundle for $25. Check out the Appendant and Afghan University video library. Uh, Coach Strathman, you, you, you filled out uh, the survey, as do a lot of my guests, and, and I thought one of the uh, best things that I saw in there uh, was this quote. My job is to maximize the talent and potential we have every year. And, and man, when you wrote that down, I was like, that's it. That's, that's coaching in, in one sentence right there. Uh, is that something that, that has taken you time to develop that, that uh, process? Or is it, was it something ingrained with you with some influences? How, how did you kind of land on just that? That's so simple, it's brilliant, and I love it. Uh, so, so how, you know, what kind of helped shape that philosophy? Well, I, I've said it that way, I guess, for a long time. Um, but I think that, you know, when I, when I first took over, we were in such a good position, um, with the program that my job was, I felt like my job was to maintain. I didn't have to build, I didn't have to start a youth program and all that stuff. My job was to simply try to maintain, and, uh, and we, we've been able to do that. We've had a couple of years where we've had had you know serious injuries and lost such key players, and we're forced to play uh, some really young kids. And I think the first time we went through that was was oh eight oh nine. Uh, we were just coming off of a state championship season and had high expectations, and then our best player. Uh, returning or signed a four-day state, torn ACL. Our other senior tore ACL. And so we really had to just start over that year. And I think that was when I, I just realized that, you know, regardless of what the expectations are outside of the program, um, our staff knows better than anybody what our ceiling probably is. And that's where it really kind of dawned on me that, you know what, uh, my job is more than just to maintain because there's going to be years where that's almost next to impossible. And so you just have to uh, maximize what you do have. And you're going to lose some kids from attrition sometimes, which is unfortunate. Uh, you're going to lose some kids to injury, which is totally unplanned. Uh, and whatever you have left to work with, you have to maximize it. And that's, uh, that's true for any coach, for any program, but I think that that became extremely evident to me that maybe I needed to change my approach and my perspective a little bit in that 2009 season um, just to whatever you have to maximize it. In some years, that means that you better be making a deep state tournament run in order to maximize your talent. And uh, some years... That may just mean winning league and hopefully getting the sub-state final and having a chance to get to state and maybe pulling off an upset. Um, every year's a little different. Mm -hmm. So every season, it's, it's to maximize what we have, and that's what we try to do. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. Oh, no, absolutely it does. Um, I, 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 uh, I did not realize that you were 
uh, Taylor Robertson's high school coach until you sent me that. Uh, for those of you that don't know who Taylor Robertson is, uh, you need to find out very quickly because she might be the uh, the Steph Curry of, of women's college basketball right now. Her, her statistics are unbelievably eye-popping. Uh, 44% career three-point shooter. Uh, last year, 56 out of 57 from the th- uh, the the uh, free throw line, um, just unbelievable stuff. Uh, and I'm sure it was all from her high school coach that taught her to how to shoot it like that. I, I truly believe that was all you, Chris. Uh, and I'll and I'll let you take all the credit if necessary. So, uh, but what what has made uh, Taylor such a great great shooter? Um, and and just you know has has put her in this stratosphere. Of of the top one point oh 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 one percent of shooters on planet Earth. Uh, well, first of all, I will not take credit for Taylor <laughs> shooting. Uh, I can tell you exactly who's responsible for that. Uh, other than Taylor, of course, and that is her dad, uh, Dave Robertson. Um, spent unbelievable amount of time with Taylor uh, from the time she was just a little bitty thing. Um, and just absolutely perfected the fundamentals of shooting with her footwork release. Uh, he did not allow her to shoot threes at all until she was eighth grade. Um, and it, it, she just didn't. She perfected the footwork and everything. Her release was, is outstanding. If you watch her shoot now, uh, it looks pretty much the same as what it did when she came to me as a freshman, um, except the release is higher and the release is way, way quicker. Uh, but the fundamentals of shooting were there when I got when she came to us at the high school. Uh, it was amazing watching her in youth uh, camps and youth games. Um, it was just phenomenal. Uh, her dad was was uh, responsible for the work that you know that she's put in. He, she just loved going to the gym with him. Um, and unfortunately, I'll, I'll go ahead and mention it. She, he. Uh, he passed away from cancer during her junior season. Oh. Um, well, not during her junior season, I'm sorry. Shortly after her junior season in high school. Uh, so she played her senior year in high school and then all during college so far without her dad there. And that's been tough for her, but sure. uh, that's who gets the credit for her shooting ability. Um, as far as training her, uh, other people worked with her, but it was Dave. Mm-hmm. And then she just spent... She spent a phenomenal amount of time. You can't even imagine the amount of time she spent shooting as a kid. So, uh, and it's paid off. Mm-hmm. You know, she's been a second-team All-Big 12 performer. Uh, in my opinion, she have been first-team last year, but she wasn't. Um, she's already about, I'm going to say about 25 threes made, uh, short of the all-time Big 12 career record. Uh, so she's sitting at about 325 career threes made. And sitting at, like you said, 44% uh, for the career. And I think the record holder is uh, Lori Kane, who played at K-State. And she grew up just 20 miles from here in Mount Ridge. So uh, really close to here. And uh, Taylor knew her uh, growing up. And she's probably going to break her record. Um, I would say in January sometime, I would guess that record's going to go down. So um, pretty amazing career she's had. And... uh, it's been a, she was a blessing to coach, but um, I do not take the credit for her shooting. I can tell you that, but uh, she was a blessing for sure. Yeah. 
Um, you've also been blessed with uh, a really solid, consistent coaching staff. You've uh, you, you've had uh, a really steady staff. Uh, how how beneficial? How important has that been to your program success? And uh, you, you've battled some some health issues uh, with uh, colon cancer a few years ago, and uh, you know things like that. So so how has has it how has it made your job easier? To, to have all of these folks that are familiar with what you do and how you do it uh, to be able to step in and to, to fill in the void when you haven't been able to be there and just having that comfort level of going to practice every day with people that you know exactly what you want done and how you want it done. Uh, well, I'll back up a little bit. We have had some turnover uh, these last couple of years, but... Um, I'll say, you know, because you, you know, Shelly Prescott helped get us get us set up with this. And um, from 2012 through 2020, uh, we basically did have the same staff. So um, three assistant coaches plus me, and that was that was tremendous continuity. Uh, then we've had some changes over the last couple of years, and all great people working with us. But we got to build that continuity again, hopefully. Um, but yeah, when I um, uh, struggled with the colon cancer. Um, that was the uh, November, December of 2018. Uh, so we were fresh coming off of uh, state championship season, uh, which is actually Taylor Robertson's senior year, so we're fresh coming off that. Uh, and I had to deal with some colon cancer stuff, had uh, surgery right before Thanksgiving. I'm sorry, right after Thanksgiving, actually. I ended up missing our uh, first six games until Christmas. And at that time, that was that was the real um, uh, the staff that we had a long time together, and so that was great timing because it, you know they didn't miss a beat. Uh, the kids were so used to those three um, with the way we were doing things and everything. So you know it was no problem at all handing, handing the reins over uh, to them. Uh, honestly, it'd be a little tougher now just because we've had some turnover and a little less experience on our staff, but. Uh, great people uh, just have some experience that hopefully they'll gain uh, these next few years and hopefully we can stick together mm-hmm. so yeah the colon cancer was was uh, pretty stressful stretch for sure mm-hmm. uh, but it, but what helped so much was uh, being able to give the coaching piece of it uh, to completely give that over to our staff uh, they just took it and ran and then I came back uh, shortly after Christmas and and we had a great season that year, um, but uh, you know those, those six games that they took care of everything, uh, we were very fortunate to have them. So I'm um, very blessed with the staffs we've had, especially that season with uh, what they had to do to take over for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, a good, uh, clean bill of health ever since, and, and everything's everything's in the right place, isn't it, Chris? Uh, yes, yes. I've had multiple follow-ups, you know, a couple uh, colonoscopies again since then, and everything keeps coming back clean. So uh, it's, uh, you know, a real blessing um, to have that, and uh, it's always stressful. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's ever gone through that, anytime you go through blood work again, any follow-up colonoscopies or any cancer tests, any of that type of stuff, uh, it's always stressful until you get those results back, but... 
Uh, my oncologist has been super to work with. Uh, my primary care physician has been great. Uh, and every time I, I go to visit with them and get good news, it's just it's a huge relief. So um, thanks for asking about that. But, yeah, it's been uh, very positive every time uh, that I have to go back to visit. Yeah. Well, it's it it is a blessing. Uh, we you know that 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 c word uh, is is such a son of a gun, and uh, we lost my father in law to a form of leukemia two years ago, uh, and uh, you know so it it is it's 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 something uh, that that's just you know just just something that 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 we all have to to be aware of and 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 fight all together and have that support system and I'm I'm sure you had a great support system uh obviously on the court but I'm sure you had a tremendous support system off the court while you were going through it and uh again just happy to hear that that everything is moving in a positive direction for you and your family and and uh you're out doing what you love on a on a daily basis and and that's that's the that's the biggest blessing of them all so um yeah definitely uh, at this point, Chris, we're gonna we're gonna change up here a little bit. Uh, we are gonna have our John Wooden quote of the day. Uh, so so what I do here at this point is I, I pick out a, a quote from Coach Wooden, and we talk about it a little bit if you'd like, um, just to give our coaches a, a, another piece of something to chomp on here as they listen to it. So uh, if you would like to comment on it, you know, feel free to do so. Uh, sound good? Okay. Yeah, you bet. Okay, so the John Wooden quote of the day is, If you are afraid to fail, you will never do the things that you are capable of doing. I really I really like that. I, I think that, you know, uh, if, if you were afraid to fail, you would have never slid over those 18 inches to be the head coach. And and you know so forth and so on and i think it it takes a, a a courageous person to be able to go out there and and just say hey we could succeed we could fail i think all of us as coaches uh one of us is going to walk away from the gym pretty happy every night and, and and another one is is not and and it takes a lot of courage to uh to to go out there and and fail when when we do fail uh, yeah, yeah, it definitely does. And that was, uh, you know, I think addressing fear of failure, uh, you know, in all areas of your life is, is a challenge and, you know, it gets you out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, you know, had, had, uh, Coach Schaefer stayed here, you know, I mean, he's still coaching for crying out loud. Uh, that's, you know, he's been, been out a long time. Um, you know, I don't know if I would have, if I would have stayed, uh, for good as an assistant, because I would have wanted to venture out and give it a shot, but you know, I was content. But when he when he left, uh, it was a it was a little bit overwhelming what I was stepping into, and uh, the fear of failure, I guess, is there for anybody. It was just like it's there for our kids. You know, they they uh, we try to talk to them about getting out of their comfort zone all the time. Uh, if you're doing a ball handling drill and uh, you happen to fail and the ball goes away. Well, that's just because you're probably pushing yourself a little more, a little more than you've ever done before, and that's fine. So, um, getting kids to take shots in games if they're still scared—that's fear of failure. Um, all of those things we have to overcome yeah, as coaches, but also as players. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so let's let's jump into your uh, philosophy a little bit here, Coach. Um, 
you know, let's let's just let's just start on the offensive side of the ball here. Uh, you want to talk transition offense or half court offense first? Uh, we'll start with transition. Okay, so I'm just going to let you go, Coach. Uh, I'm going to let you talk about your transition philosophy, what you guys like to do. I'll interject with a with a with a few questions if if something comes up. Uh, but just tell us what you guys do down there at McPherson when it comes to your transition and and getting it out and go and in, in transition offense. Yeah, well, you know, every team's a little bit different, uh, but we do like to we do like to run. Um, hopefully we can get some easy looks and things before the defense gets set. Uh, of course, you get that off of press and steals and things like that. But uh, when you can run off of uh, missed shots and get the defense aboard, uh, run off of even made baskets, if you can do that really well as a team, uh, that can help you get a lot of easy baskets and, and just keeps your other team on their heels. So uh, we try to do that the best we can, but... Um, it's not as big of a focus for us this year as, as in past years. Uh, but, uh, you know, we really like to run as, as much as we can. Um, we do like to do a lot of things out of full court. Uh, so flow into some things that, um, you know, entries that we can run out of full court, whether it's versus man or versus certain types of zones. Uh, so we don't want to just go down and set up an offense. We want to be able to run. A secondary break uh, with some offense behind it, um, and that's what we like to do. So, um, whether it's man or zone, we like to have some things that flow freely into the offense that we want to run. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the interesting things you wrote down is uh, you talk about running a lot of two-on-one in practice. Uh, what's the thought process behind that? Uh, what are some, you know, maybe one or two drills that you guys do uh, to uh, in, in practice that you could explain over the phone here uh, so that our coaches could understand to uh, implement that into their repertoire? Uh, yeah, I guess on the transition offense there, the, the two-on-one drills are any number situation. So I just gave an example in that email I sent you, you know, about the two-on-one drills we do, which is a continuous two-on-one uh, we want to convert 80% plus on those situations. And that's either with an immediate score or with one quick follow-up. Uh, so if they miss, they got to catch, catch the rebound or right away go back up. Uh, if they've got to bounce it, it's, it's done. So uh, that's what we look for. It's obviously if they have to rebound and take a dribble, there's already going to be other defensive players back. Uh, so it's got to be super quick follow in order for it to count. Mm-hmm. Um, we do con- continuous drills, uh, two-on-one, three-on-two, four-on-three, five-on-four. Uh, we call it our Purdue drill, um, and it's just continuous transition drill with numbers. Our kids love it. It's super competitive, high-energy drill. Uh, and on that, we don't necessarily do a percentage of finishes, uh, but it's just a competitive uh, drill where we actually keep score uh, with teams going with that. Uh, we do three on two, two on one. Uh, just two trips down and back, we do that. Um, and those are just situations where we want to make sure we're, we're number one, any number of situations, number one thing, we're getting shots, and hopefully good shots, obviously. Um, we do not turn it over in those situations. Uh, we don't let the defense get tips. We don't want that to happen at all because uh, deflections will lead to them being able to get their other defenders back. Uh, so we're going to be able to attack and attack well. 
um, anytime we have numbers opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that also help you? And I know we're talking about transition offense, but does does that also help your defenders uh, in transition defense when when you know you don't want it to happen too often, but it is going to happen. It's yeah. inevitable. Uh, but it, it helps teach your kids how to do to you know hold off the charge until the cavalry comes. Oh yeah, definitely. So they they definitely have to talk. Obviously, in the two on one drill, it's just the one defender, so that's a little different. But yep. once you get in those those other drills, uh, those girls have to talk and work as a unit. And like you said, until the rest of the defense gets back, uh, it's a huge key uh, to hopefully make them make one extra pass, uh, get a tip, whether they get a steal or not, get a tip and make them waste time until their other defenders get back. So um, what, we do some other drills, too, that, that lead to that. So a five-on-five defensive transition drill that we do, um, where our coach will call two names, they've got to go touch the end line. I'm sure a ton of coaches do that. But mm-hmm. So initially it's five-on-three uh, with two trailing defenders, and those three have to really talk. Uh, we want to get the ball guarded. We want to get the basket protected, and somebody's got first pass. And our focus on that person guarding the ball is to force that ball handler to take a side, to choose a side, and then we keep them there. And then those two trailing defenders know they're basically going to pick up somebody on the backside, and they'll match up from there. So uh, our job is to get them out of the middle, make them choose a side, and then keep them there, and then hopefully we can build our defense from that from that point on. Mm-hmm. So we work with that. That's obviously transition defense, kind of off subject, I guess, a little bit. Uh, but we do a lot of number situations, both for offensive advantage and also for defensive disadvantage. And we're working on both a lot every week. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be the first time in 107 episodes we've ever gotten off track here on a pen and a napkin, Coach. So I'm going to have to hold your hand okay. to the fire. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're, you know, uh, I'm surprised it's taken us this long to get off track. Uh, I, I'm, we're, we're actually being mature adults having a real conversation here. I, I, this is a little foreign to me. I'm going to be honest with you a little bit. So. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, so let's say, uh, you know, uh, we run into the scenario and uh, the transition gets back. And, and now you're flowing into... Uh, you're flowing into your half court O, and and you, and you wrote in the the stuff that you sent me. Um, you know, we we really changed about three or four seasons ago, uh, and we, we we changed that philosophy of what we do in the half court. Can can you kind of go into that as to what you did, why you did what you did, and and what you uh, had to do to uh, schematically change that and and implement new things to to do things differently than the way that the, the, you know and obviously you'd been doing them very successfully um what did you what did you do to uh to to implement that for your players well i can uh, i'll go back to 2017 and this was uh, you know it goes back to the taylor robertson years and and we had a tremendous post player that with her in the same class. Um, well, we faced a ton of junk, uh, face guarding on Taylor, um, just constant. We faced that her sophomore year and junior year especially. 
Um, and then also that, that Jung defense was also taken away, trying to take the blocks away from our really good post player. Mm-hmm. Well, so we got, we got runner-up in 2017 um, and had – Almost all of our players back. We graduated two players, but um, our most talented kids were definitely coming back uh, for the 2018 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the spring of that that 2017 year, our post player, who was really good, Mandy Cooks, um, she tore her Achilles. Oh no! Um, and so we we felt like we probably were not going to have her, to be honest. Uh, she busted her butt, did a tremendous uh, rehab, and was able to come back. But um, I'll get to that a little bit. But uh, that season also, uh, KU was working a lot of four-out-one in with their men. And that was the year they had, like, uh, you know, Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, Steve McKay-Luke, uh-huh. and uh, Malik Newton, I think, was the other guard. And they, and they put some new stuff in. Uh, for out one in. Of course, Bill Self had always been three out, two in, you know, high, low, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they started changing some things. So we ended up implementing that. Um, four out, one in, which we had always done a four out, one in true motion uh, with one post. Uh, they did a four out, one in uh, with a continuity ball screen offense. And that's what we ended up putting in. We had found that with a four out, one in, um, teams were able to deny and face guard Taylor, even if they were man. They were able to do that too easily against our motion. Um, with this other stuff that we, we chose to put in, we felt like with all the action, all the player movement, instead of just having her come off screens where they could just switch it and stay in face guard, uh, we wanted some different action, and that's what we chose to go with. And it worked wonders for us. So it freed her up. Um, teams were face guarding her less. Our post player that, that was that was in um, in that season was, was still very good. She was a sophomore. It was actually Manny Cook's younger sister, uh, Kathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was inexperienced. Um, Mandy came back uh, in time for like our mid-season tournament. She was nowhere near full strength. Uh, she played even through her state tournament, had some really good games. Um, she signed with Texas San Antonio, so that's how good she was. But mm-hmm. she was never truly full strength. Um, had she been full strength um, and that injury had never happened, we may have just stayed with the four-out line and did the best we could. Uh, but I think going to that continuity ball screen stuff that KU runs with uh, their four out one in uh, really helped us, and it ended up being a blessing in disguise that helped Taylor get open so much better uh, without the face guarding by implementing that. So we stuck with it as kind of our primary man-to-man offense uh, because our our best players overall for the last several years now since Taylor's been here have been guards, uh, whereas before that, a lot of times our best players were our post players. And so a lot of our offense went through our posts, whereas now it's kind of not so much inside out, it's more outside in. Mm-hmm. And so our approach has changed a lot with the players that we have. And it's filled our personnel really well uh, because the post players we've had the last couple of years have been um, 
They've been good post players, uh, but they have not been really good sized post players, and their strengths have not been back to the basket. Their strengths have been offensive rebounding. Uh, their strengths have been, you know, setting ball screens and finishing off of rolls. And so it's just fit our personnel much better. And so that's what we changed that for, kind of for uh, helping that group in 2018, but also projecting to the future with what we had. I felt like having that change was going to be good for us, and it's proven to be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, along with Coach Self, is there been anybody else that you've kind of looked at their stuff and and adapted to your system as you were kind of going through those changes? Like, oh, this is what Coach Self does, but I also kind of like this little uh, you know wrinkle that Coach Fill in the Blank does as well uh, to to help implement that and fit the the talent and the needs uh, of your kids. Well, we, we've had to, to tweak that offense over the years. So, you know, and we've been able to add some things that, that we haven't stolen from, from Coach Self and KU. And we've stolen some stuff from um, Gonzaga just last year. We put a few things in. They, they obviously have um, off-the-charts offensive efficiency numbers, especially last year they did. Um, they had a tremendous post player with, with Drew Timmy, but – what we did was we stole some stuff that they got and they put in a lot for uh, uh, Kispert, if you remember him. Oh, yeah. yeah he uh, can really shoot it. Yep. Uh, for them last year. And so we, we stole some things to help our players uh, last year, too, because we had two girls that averaged about 18 points for us. They were good off the bounce, but they were both tremendous three-point shooters. And so we stole some things uh, from Gonzaga, that and tweaked it to fit what we were already doing uh, to get those two players better looks. Um, and it wasn't just the KU action. It was stuff that we implemented off of stuff we stole from other teams, but primarily Gonzaga last year um, with what they ran for Kispert. And those proved to help us too, especially against key opponents down the stretch mm-hmm. uh, that had us very well scouted. Uh, we worked on some stuff and saved it for – uh, postseason and helped us out a lot. Mm-hmm. You talked in the email you sent me about the importance getting to the free throw line. Uh, how do you implement that into your kids in the half court? Uh, what are some things you do to teach and emphasize getting to the free throw line? Because as you said, it is the most efficient place to score on the floor. Well, you know, the, we don't run the true dribble drive motion. Uh, there's been a lot of teams that uh, have scouted us, and I talk to them afterwards, and they, they say they have such a hard time guarding that dribble drive stuff that we run. I'm like, it's not dribble drive, but anyway, one of the focuses of, of dribble drive, but also the, the offense that we run, is to get to the foul line, get to the paint, draw the defense and either dump it off or draw the defense and get fouled and get to the line. So, that's always a focus of our offense. I think that's a focus of any team that has a, a big time emphasis on putting the ball on the floor and attacking. Uh, one of the main reasons they're doing that, one, is they probably have the kids that can do it, mm-hmm. and two, is penetrate, kick to shooters, and three, and maybe most importantly, is to just put pressure on the defense at all times, hopefully, and be, be able to get 
to the foul line, whether that's because teams are reaching and you get an early bonus by putting pressure on them, or because teams are fouling you to keep you from getting layups. Mm-hmm. And so we want to get to the foul line a lot. Um, our best teams have, and I put that in there in my notes, our best teams have typically made more free throws than the opponents have shot. And so when you can do that, you're going to have a recipe for success. Uh, so free throws is always an emphasis. This year's team so far has not been able to do that mm-hmm. uh, because we've been seeing a lot of zone. And so we haven't been able to run as much man offense as what we'd like. Um, we've been seeing a lot of zone, which has limited our free throw opportunities and has made it harder for us to score. Mm-hmm. Even when we've had some stretches where we have uh, shot the ball well, um, it still made it harder for us to score overall because you're not getting those freebies at the line, which is the most efficient place to score. Yeah. So let's transition to your half-court defense. And, and uh, you know, you, you say we're not giving up layups and we're not giving up free throws on defense. We're, uh, I mean, this is uh, straight NBA analytics 101 here. Uh, we want to get to the free throw line more. Uh, we want to make more than the other team attempts. And on defense, we want to keep people out of the scoring zone and we want to keep them off the free throw line. So what's your philosophy there on the defensive end? How are you teaching that? How are you, uh, how are you putting together a game plan and, and teaching that system-wide with your young kids all the way up through your high school uh, to try and keep those basic analytics in place? You know, we, we really want our young kids, um, even down in the youth, as much as we can to be playing man-to-man. And at the youth level, sometimes when they face some all-star teams, uh, that that can mean getting thumped a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I understand they, they do play some zone every now and then, but uh, we want them playing man all the way up as much as possible. Yep. Uh, once they hit the middle school, we definitely want them playing our style, uh, that philosophy, um, you know, as far as it's not pack line, it's not, it's not up and, you know, face guarding, denying, there's pressure like crazy. It's kind of a happy medium. You know, we want the ball to get out of the middle, which means we don't necessarily get up and, and all out deny on the wing. We don't mind them making wing passes. We don't want them getting lane penetrations. Yep and doing those things like our, our boys, uh, coach, and they've been tremendous success. It's just different philosophy. Uh, they want to take them out, take their opponents out of sets they're running by denying first passes, making first passes very difficult to even make. Well, we want the ball out of the middle. Mm-hmm. And so once they make the pass, we want, them to, we want it to stay on the side. And so once it's on the side, we wanted to stay there as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So we may deny the pass back to the middle. Uh, we will definitely try to take away the middle on the drive. Uh, so some teams that don't force middle penetration, we do not do that. Um, we, want, we want the middle to be taken away. And so we are big on closeout angles. And then also angles as far as once they do put the ball on the floor, where should you kind of direct them more so than obviously don't let them have a straight line basket uh, or straight line to the basket, but we want to direct them certain angles as well uh, to the help angles and all that. So uh, angles are very important to our defensive philosophy. 
and also not getting in early bonus. So we, we focus big time on not fouling when we're playing defense. I can't stand teams that, or, or when we allow teams to get an early bonus, either early second quarter or sometimes even late first quarter, and that's just a parade to the free throw line, and you got to get passive and all that. Uh, we don't want that to happen. So, example on, on Saturday, um, you know, we got to halftime with, with 14 fouls in the first half, and I felt like we played really good defense. We were down by four, uh, but we had done the things we wanted to do, and, uh, and they never did get to the bonus in the first half at all. Um, so those are things that we try to do. Uh, be solid fundamentally, uh, get back in transition, build our defense, and just make it tough for that other team to score as much as we possibly can. And then, of course, the less rotations we have to make, the less defensive boards we typically uh, – or I'm sorry, the less offensive boards we tend to give up because mm-hmm. we're not out of rotation. And so those are big things for us. So stay in, stay in position. You're in position in the box out. Limit them to one shot, and then we're off and running. That's that's one of the big things we try to do. Two things I want to talk about with you, and what you said there. Uh, I thought it was interesting what you said about with the jo- uh, with the zone and the philosophy at the junior high level and the elementary level, and, and work kind of the. Uh, I, I think we're on the same wavelength there. I tell my coaches, hey, I want to. You need to be playing man to man. We're going to be a man. We want to be a man to man team, and and I really believe that if you want to be a really good zone team you've got to have great man-to-man defenders uh, because you've got to have that that's those same closeouts, those same angles that, you know, you, you don't want to bring two to the ball, whether it's against zone or man. Uh, you don't want to overhelp too much. Uh, but I also think it is important to have a, a secondary zone, let's say, or if you're a zone coach, that you do sprinkle in some man uh, because you do need that change-up. Um, and, yeah. and at that youth level... Uh, you know, I, I tell my coach, hey, use zone if you absolutely have to, but it can't become a crunch, you know, a crutch. Uh, if you're, yeah. if, if you, uh, if, if it's a close game with five minutes left and you feel like switching to a zone at that point is going to help you out, hey, let it rip because we want our kids to win too. We want them to get used to winning and, and we want to, you know, you we want them to implement. Is, is that kind of your thought process as well, Chris? Yeah, it definitely is. You know, we, we do have a zone as a backup. Um, we need to work on some more. Um, but, you know, like I said, for the youth, for the middle school, um, we want them playing man as much as possible. And when we talk to the coaches about any of that type of stuff, uh, that's definitely what they would hear from us. Uh, and they, they do a good job of, of working out, working with that. Um, but I, I totally agree with you. Even the, even the coaches that, that are primarily zoned, uh, if they're not working on man to man, their zone's probably not going to be near as good as it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the best zone teams, obviously, you talk about the Syracuse men, um, the K State women. You know, they do a tremendous job with their zone. Um, I've been to some of their practices. They work on man to man stuff all the time too. Mm-hmm. I know Bayheim, know what Syracuse does. So, um, to be a really good defensive team, you have to be able to guard one-on-one. You have to be able to guard two-on-two, all of that stuff. Um, And you obviously have to be able to rebound, whether it's man or zone. So all of those things apply. They carry over 
with whatever defense you're running, you have to be able to guard the ball. You have to be able to guard penetration. Um, that's such a big part of today's game, obviously, more so than ever. Uh, penetrate and kick. You've got to be able to close out whether you're man or zone. So all that stuff applies, and I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk to you about was closeouts, and you talked a lot about angles and closeouts. Uh, how much do you how much do you guys spend on closeouts, and what are you know if you'd be willing to share one or two uh, closeout drills that you guys uh, run consistently to help teach your kids how to close out the way that you want them to close out? Uh, we haven't done as much of that as 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 usual. Probably need to do more of that plugging in this year. Uh, we have. Uh, you know, a couple closeout drills we do. Uh, just it's a one-on-one drill, basic stuff. You know, just start with the defender on the block. They roll the ball out. But most would probably teach where you just close out man on man between ball and basket. Uh, what we're teaching is leading up to our other stuff with two on two with shell, and so we roll it out. But we roll it out into our alley one drill uh, where they're still rolling it out and they're going to take away the middle. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to take away the middle drive. And if they do give, you know, it looks, it looks like they're going to start to give up a straight line drive. They've got to figure out how to stop that and funnel them away from a straight line drive. Uh, because that's where we're going to be going on the wing is taking away the middle. They're not going to be between the ball and the basket. And so they've got to work on that. Uh, with the closeout, taking away the middle, and then still recover well enough to at least make them make a counter move or at least until that alley two help is there uh, from the corner spot, which we work on that drill too. Um, That's just a one-on-one drill we do. Um, uh, We have a triple closeout drill. We have a quadruple closeout drill (laughs) uh, that we stole stole from – uh, Coach Snyder at the KU with KU women, um, but that leads into some other stuff. So they'll do a triple closeout and lead into like a UCLA ball screen um, right away. So it's it's action that they that they work out of. But they all three girls on the baseline, they just pass it and they'll throw around the the, the three point line to the offensive players, and they're all throw closing out to different people. Uh, so the first girl closed out to the wing, middle girl closed out to the point, next girl closed out to the other wing, and then they're playing live off of that. Uh, so we work on different actions with that. Like I said, UCLA ball screen, we do that a lot. Uh, so we see that several times during the year. Uh, we'll work out of back screens to defend that. Um, so you work on stuff that um, we typically will see, but out of the closeout drill too. So... That's just some different stuff that we do. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. But no, it makes sense. Yeah. We do try to build. We do try to build some closeout drills and piggyback off that with some actions that teams run against us. Um, instead of just standing there and they're ready, they got to close out and then defend an action right away. So that's what we like to do with that. Gotcha. One more thing, Coach. Are you good? I'm good. You're you good. Bet. All right. Uh, uh, again, I, hopefully that little extra caffeine that we both had today will keep us going here. It's about uh, 
11.13 according to my computer right now. So we're, we are burning the midnight oil literally for, for the loyal listeners of a pen and a napkin here. So it is greatly appreciated, Chris. So uh, let's, let's talk just a couple minutes about scouting and live scouting. You, you are, uh, and I'll be the first one to admit, I am not much of a live scouter. Uh, I do 95% of my scouting via huddle, uh, for various different reasons, but, but you really, you said you really still like to get out there and, and live scout and, and, and sit in the bleachers and sit across from your, your future opponent and, and watch things develop. What are, what are, and, and you listed it here on my sheet, but I'm going to let you talk about it. Uh, what are, what are some of the, the, the big reasons why you still like getting out there and, and watching a, a good live scout? Well, I'm, I'm looking just really for any edge that we can get. Um, I feel like as as uh, as the head coach, I, I feel like that I owe that to our kids. Um, they want to have as much success as possible. Uh, part of my job is to is to give them any edge that we can get, uh, whether that's to beat the best opponents in our league, whether that's to beat an opponent that we fully expect to see in sub-state, uh, whether that's to, um, you know, in certain years, you know, in 17 and 18, I can tell you that we fully expected to be playing for a state championship. And so we wanted to make sure that we saw um, any of the best teams in our entire class that I fully expected to be at state. We wanted to make sure that we saw them live at least once. If that meant driving to Kansas City, which is for us three hours, uh, we were going to figure out a way to do that. Um, does that mean it always paid off? Well, sometimes we'd go and, and didn't get much out of it, to be honest, but yeah. we'd still try to make sure we got it done for peace of mind as much as anything else. But last year, I can tell you that live scouting, uh, helped us tremendously. Um, it helped us a bit, uh, a lot with our sub-state opponent, which was Nickerson, um, they have a, a tremendous player that's committed to Arizona State. She's just a junior. Um, but it helped us as much for her as the other players. And just seeing tendencies that I know you can see on film. Mm-hmm. But seeing her body language, seeing the uh, level of interaction between uh, the coaches and players, um, I, I just felt really good going into that game. Uh, that we were going to be able to rattle specific kids, and it definitely worked. Um, and I don't know that we would have seen some of that stuff on film that we're able to see live. Unfortunately, that was a fairly close trip. We were able to see them a few times. Um, and the other opponents that we saw uh, first round of state, we have been able to live scout. Um, and then our, our state championship game, which we didn't win last year, we got second. Uh, we were able to live scout them last year, too. And it, it definitely helped us. We weren't able to beat them, but I think it definitely helped us as we're just looking for those edges. Um, on, on the huddle, you know, a lot of times you can get some verbal calls. You know, if, if the, the film is good enough, you can. Uh, but a lot of times you can't get hand signals, whether that's players giving a signal or coaches giving a signal. Um, that's really tough. You know, for a couple of years, uh, 2019, 2020, uh, we were in class 5A. And I tell you, one of the best coaches that, that we ever face is, uh, 
at St. Thomas Aquinas, their private school, obviously, in, in Overland Park. Mm-hmm. They have some verbal stuff, but they do a lot of signals. And so we were able to get uh, or try to get as much as we could off of them live scout as we could. Uh, but even then, they're very good with what they do. Um, and so the live, live scout helped us with that, um, with that opponent as much as any, uh, just because they do such a good job of signaling things instead of all verbal. Um, that that's, those are things we try to do. Um, we love watching the body language of kids, uh, seeing which kids we can try to rattle, um, and also the body language with, with how teammates react to others. Uh, we, we, I really like seeing that type of stuff and, and, uh, and try to learn as much as we can. Perfect. Great way to end it, Coach. Great way to end it. Uh, Coach Chris Strathman from McPherson, Kansas. I, 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 Coach, it's, it's been awesome uh, talking with you here this evening. I'm so glad Shelly was able to uh, uh, hook us up here and bring us together, and, and I hope you've enjoyed your time on a pen and a napkin. I did. I, I appreciate it. I never heard of you guys. We'll definitely be following you from now on. So uh, thanks, Marty, for your time and, and for all you do for basketball. Well, I appreciate it. And speaking of follow, any any social media for you or your program that uh, folks could follow and, and kind of keep track of your guys' progress and what you guys are trying to do? Uh, we, well, we don't have an actual website or anything, but I, I'm, I try to stay pretty active on Twitter. Uh, posting things about our our team and our kids, uh, so it's Chris Strathman, and then my uh, Twitter handle is just at uh, Lady Pups BB. Mm-hmm. So at Lady Pups BB is my is our Twitter handle. Like I said, I try to promote our kids, uh, promote our kids that are playing in college, uh, which we have several. Um, so anytime stuff comes up for them, I try to talk about that a little bit too, and. Um, just do the best we can to, to highlight our, our players and former players. Well, you're doing a heck of a job, Coach, and you should be proud of the, the program that you've it, you, you had a great foundation with and you've, you've taken it to even uh, you know uh, another level. So, uh, again, can't thank you enough for your time here tonight. i got to wrap up a couple things, but if you could hold the line, uh, I, you know, we'll, we'll chat a little bit after I'm done talking here, if that's all right with you. You bet. Thank you. All right. Uh, Again, Chris Strathman, the head girls basketball coach at McPherson High School in McPherson, Kansas. We want to thank him for his time tonight. Uh, We, of course, want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, for sponsoring the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin for daily coaching tidbits. Uh, Download, rate, and review this this particular uh, episode and all the episodes. Give us a positive review so we can help other coaches hone their craft. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. My name is Marty Plum. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.